Um, but here we'll turn with me over to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 through 13. We'll read here. Over the next couple of weeks, what I want us to talk about is, is the gospel according to David. And if I asked you, you know, to, to name off some of the, the big names or, or some of your favorite people, the favorite stories in the Bible, you know, we, we talk about Jesus. Jesus would no doubt come up first. And, and a lot of people probably bring up Paul next, maybe Peter. Um, you go into Old Testament and, you know, Jonah comes up, Moses comes up, Noah comes up. But I think for many of us, David probably ranks up there in, in the pretty most recognizable names of the Bible, we, the ones that we know their story the best. Um, and, and we see David, and, and David played an influential and an impactful part in, in, in not just you know Old, Old Testament, but establishing the, the plan and the path that God was taking his people, the children of Israel, and a plan that he had not only for them, but for the world. At that time, and here today, and into the future, as long as the world world continues and, and remains. But David, I, so I want us to, over the next couple of weeks, to, to look at the life of David, uh, see some parallels between David, life of David, and the life of Christ, parallels between the life that and the things that David went through and teachings that God has and how we can see a lot of the gospel message and the groundwork of it and the foundation of it established in David, his writings, his teaching, and his life. Okay? I love David. I love his story. I relate to him as a young man that started in ministry at 14 years old. I can relate with this 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 person, this this male figure that that started out early, that that had like a burden placed on him early on in his his life. I can relate with that. I can get with that. A man that that tried his best to succeed, but had failures and had downfalls and had things that he messed up on. That's some place that we all have common ground, even with David, the king of the king of Israel, the one that we know the best. Uh, it's the, the Davidic line. It's, it's his name that taught Israel long after he's gone we all can relate with parts and aspects of David's story and we're going to draw some of those those out today okay so so first Samuel chapter 16 verses 6 through 13 is what we'll read and then we'll hit a couple other places as we go through the sermon okay so here's what it says it says so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said surely the Lord's anointed is before him so the Lord said to Samuel do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Samah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with broad eyes, good looking. The Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. This is 1 Samuel chapter 6, verses 6 through 13. Prelude to this. Okay, if you start at the first of this chapter, God speaks to Samuel, basically says, how long are you going to suffer this, this king, this king Saul? Saul had done many things that had angered God. God didn't even want Israel to have a king. And they kept on crying out for one. They said, we want to be like the tribes and the kingdoms that surround us. They said, give us a king and appoint us a king. And 
and God eventually gave them what, what they asked for. We we can look at that. And have, there's a lesson in that too. Um, even though it was what they were asking for, it's not what they needed. So, so we gave him Saul. Saul rose up, and the Bible says that he was a, a strong man, a tall man, even amongst all of the other people. He was a he was a great leader. He had a position. He was, he was one of the leaders of the houses. He was he was a fine man, fine specimen of the Israelite people, a good representation of their strongest, of their fittest, of their best. And Saul reigned. The Bible tells us that there came a point that Saul began to become disobedient to what Samuel was telling him to do and what God was telling him to do. To the point that we reach here in 1 Samuel chapter 16, God says basically, I'm tired of Saul. His, his anointing, my, my blessing on him has, has passed. He, he, he has not followed me. He's not done what he's supposed to do as king. I'll choose another. He says, go down to the house of, of Jesse the Bethlehemite. And he said, you'll anoint one of his sons as king. Samuel goes down and, and takes an offering and goes to the leaders and takes Jesse and his sons and at least the seven there and they offer up the offering, sacrifice and they go to Jesse's house and here's where we pick up. He, Jesse brings, no doubt, the oldest, the strongest, the most responsible, the, the best mind, the fittest, the, the example of, of what a king they thought should be. Comparing him, no doubt, to kings of the surrounding regions, of regions of the stories have been told. Comparing him probably to to what Jesse had seen of Saul, maybe in passing at different events or when they would come together at different festivals and celebrations, and and, and no doubt he said, "Here's a bit of that," and put him forth and said, "No, this is the one." They went through all of them and and, and got to David. And this is the the beginning of David's story, the 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 opening chapter of of his life and his, his uh, path to reigning over Israel and being what we consider a man after God's own heart. It starts here. It starts here. But I want to look at the, the life of David and where he's at right now. And I think if we look at David, one phrase, one word that can describe him at this current stage in his life is he was overlooked. Okay? Have you ever felt overlooked? Maybe for a job? You thought you deserved it? You thought you'd earned it? Or a promotion? Maybe you were picked last in school for some, some sporting event, football or dodgeball, and, and there you are, you're the last one, everybody's overlooked you, and neither team really wants you, and they're fighting about who has to take you. Okay? I've never been there. I was usually chosen first. No, that's a lie. I'm sorry. Um, I was probably chosen last one first. Um, maybe you've been overlooked in, in that way. Maybe you've been smitten by, by, by some gal or, or some guy in the surrounding area at school or at work or wherever it is, you know, when you were looking to, you know, have a relationship and get married and stuff, and, and, and you just expressed your, your love to this person and rejected and scorned. You were overlooked. They decided to, to go out with somebody else, to marry somebody else. and We've all experienced being overlooked at some point in our life, no doubt. Um, that That's difficult. It's hard. It, it, it doesn't feel good, especially you know if, if you're young, if you're insecure, if you're having issues, if, if you've really invested in a certain situation or, or a certain circumstance and you've really banked or hoped for something to happen and it doesn't happen, you've been overlooked, It's it hurts. 
And I think if we look at David, we can see that David no doubt probably felt overlooked in this situation. And no doubt there were reasons for it. <coughs> David was the youngest. He was a shepherd, which really, you know, we, we read about it and we think, we, we kind of romanticize the idea of a, a shepherd because we read about it in the Bible, in the Bible highlights shepherds at the birth of Christ. We see David was a shepherd, different stories of shepherds in the Bible. We think very highly of that. God even refers to himself as like the shepherd of, of our flock. He would leave the 99 to go find the one. He's referring to himself as a shepherd and as the sheep. But in reality, at that time in history, even still today over in the Far East and different places, the shepherd was not a, a fancy or, or fine role. It was the, the lowest on the totem pole. It was given to the person who basically couldn't do anything else in the household. So there's David. The youngest. The shepherd. In all honesty, when Jesse died, if, if, if this hadn't happened, it wouldn't have even been David that took over as head of the household. It would have been Abinadab. If Abinadab died, it wouldn't have been uh, David that took over. The, it would continue with down. David was the last option overlooked. So much so that the, read what the scripture says. Says so Samuel. This is uh, verse eleven. It says the Samuel said to Jesse, all, "Are all the young men here?" So I just imagine they're in the house or whatever it is, and and he's passing on, and, and, Je, and Jesse's gathered up all his boys that he thinks are good options. And he goes and passes them before Samuel. None of them are there. It says, and then, uh, he, and then he said, this is Jesse, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. So understand what this is referring to. David's own daddy didn't think he was even worthy enough to bring before the prophet. David's own father overlooked him when it came to this situation. And we find that strange looking at the story of David, looking at all that he did. It's like, how did Jesse not see that in his own son? But that's what happens. We sometimes are overlooked. Or maybe we look overlook other people. And Jesse said, well, there's the youngest. Maybe there's been a situation in your life and, man, you've been overlooked and they tried every other option before they decided to choose you. And you use Esther and Donna as an example. I don't know their full story. Maybe Donna had many suitors. I don't know. Maybe she was fine fancy. She was the, 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 the best choice in Elk Valley. All the boys at the door. They, all those things didn't turn out right. And maybe she looked one day and said, Well, there's Estel. <laughs> I don't know. I bet Esther was probably her first choice. I don't know. But maybe you've been in that that point in life, in some area or some respect. After everybody else has chosen everything else, and you've been overlooked time and time again, it didn't work out, and they keep on passing, they keep on passing over, and finally they say, well, there's that one. There's that person. There's that individual. And that feeling of being overlooked is... Is something that we're all common with. We all understand that even David here is, is going through. But just because we've been overlooked doesn't mean that we're not the right choice, that we don't have a choice, that we don't have that ability to bring something out of that. You all know that I love little sports. In the year 2000, there was a slow white boy, played in Michigan, 
um, entered the NFL draft. Uh, most analysts and scouts thought this person would just wash out, would not have any kind of uh, future in the league besides maybe somebody that just practices and, and things like that. Might be a coach one day, but, but nothing in the athletic and on the field. It came to the 199th pick of the draft. There's just 32 teams, okay? So his team had picked six or seven times up to this point. And this fellow from Michigan ends up getting drafted. Uh, six other quarterbacks, he was a quarterback, was drafted before him. Uh, and here he was at the very end of the draft getting drafted. This person was overlooked by the analysts, by the scouts, by the teams, by some of his own coaches. But fast forward 22 years, and we see that person, his name is Tom Brady. Um, if you guessed that, great. We can be friends, because you've got it. Tom Brady. Tom Brady's won seven Super Bowls now. Uh, he, All the other quarterbacks that were drafted before him, most of them didn't even last more than four or five years uh, in the NFL. Tom Brady is still at almost 50 playing football at a high level. So just because you're overlooked doesn't mean that you're not capable of doing what you're being passed over for. And even though you might feel like everybody says you can't, that doesn't mean that you can't. Just because your family says you're, you're not a choice for that, like Jesse did with David. No doubt we see later on what his brothers thought of David when he goes to the camp of a war and they begin to scorn him and mock him and say, you just came basically to see the, the gore and the blood and the fight. And that's all you came here for. They put him down. So even though your family might overlook you and your boss might overlook you and it might even seem like the people that you're closest with overlook you in certain situations, it doesn't mean that God doesn't see you and recognize you and know you. The whole world can overlook you and you still be the apple of God's eye. And we can see that in David. We see that, that, that reality in David's life that he was overlooked by everybody in every situation and here he is, but here is the one that God saw and he wanted for his own. But I think we can also look at David and we, we realize that, you know, we oftentimes think of all the good that David did. You know? But there was a before the good part of David. And Samuel anointed David before any of those good things happened. David hadn't fought Goliath. They weren't singing songs that David's killed his, uh, Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his tens of thousands. David hadn't raised up and trained his mighty, the mighty men of David yet. David hadn't spent one day on the throne yet. David hadn't went and sought God and, and cried out to build a temple. He hadn't done these things that were good and that we celebrate in his life yet. But here God has already decided to anoint him before all of this stuff has happened. Before any of the good parts. Okay? So I like the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover, right? Okay? It entails that the cover does not, sometimes does not accurately purvey the good parts that are within, right? The good parts that hold, that it holds for you to read in the future, for you to take in in the future. 
Um, in my adolescence, at some point, I, I read this book. It's called Ender's Game by Orson Scott, uh, Orson Scott Card. Okay? It is now one of my favorite books I've ever read. But when I picked up this book at first to read it, I mean, I, I did not seem very, I was not very interested. It's, it's obviously a sci-fi novel, okay? And that was not what I enjoyed reading. Um, at that age, I enjoyed reading about dragons and knights and stuff and ha having somebody have a laser and stuff like that. It just didn't seem to, of interest to me. The book was old. It was, it was written before I was born. I was like, what in the world does that have to do? Why would that be enjoyable at all? I mean, the cover looks like you'd find it in a dollar store. And I'm like, no, there's never any good books that come out of a dollar store. Rarely. But I read it because there was a movie coming out about it. And I was like, well, I should probably read this. So I read it. And all the good parts that laid within it, the twists and the turns and the, and, and the, and the writing and the story and the plot that was there, the characters that were there, were, were just, just struck a chord to me. They were, they were, it was an awesome experience to read. But if I would have stopped before the good part... I wouldn't have experienced the joy that was there. And see, the thing is, if we base our decisions or our opinion on other people or on ourselves, before they get to the good part, you're not basing it accurately on who they truly are. See, if we would have looked at David, like Jesse's did and like his brothers did, before any of the good things had happened then we would have just like Jesse and David said, he just needs to stay out in the field with the shepherd. We ain't even going to bother the prophet to bring him before him. If we looked at our life and just based it judging uh, off of the, the good parts and thought, you know, am I, am I worthy? Am I a good person? And, and should, should I do this? Should I do that? Do I, do I deserve love? Do I deserve all these things? Do I deserve what God has offered? And we only based it on the good things that we've done up to that point. But many of us, would say, man, I don't deserve that. I'm not worthy of that. I don't deserve the, the love that God offers, the love that other people in my family offers. I don't deserve a good life because I've been bad, I've done bad things, and there's not been very many good parts to my life. But Samuel picked David even before he knew the good parts of what would happen in David's life. God didn't say... Samuel, pick this little boy because he's going to go kill a giant and he's going to be a great king and he's going to do things the right way. He might mess up, but he's going to do a lot of right things and he's going to establish the plan that I have for him. God didn't lay out the good parts to Samuel of what David's life would look like. He just said, choose him. It's him. Pick this one. He's the one that I want anointed to be king. You know, we live in a society where many of the nice things and the good things that we want and desire require some form of success in the past, right? You apply for a job, and what do they want to look at? They want to see your references. They want to see your job history. They want to see maybe if it's a degree or some kind of uh, vocational training. They want to see success in the past. If you get a promotion, guess what? They don't promote the people that don't show up every day and don't do good work. They promote the people that have had success at that place or that uh, you know job in the past. If you want to go get a car or a new house, guess what? They're going to check something called a credit score because now you can't get anything without a credit score. You can't get your credit score. You basically can't even get a bank account with a credit score. So they're going to check your credit score. And if you haven't had a successful credit history, guess what? It hinders your ability to do things that you want when it comes to credit and finances and things like that. 
We live in a society that presents this idea that anything good has to be earned or deserved. But that reality does not gel with the reality of what God presents. David was a young, rudy boy that had taken care of some sheep, but he, the, good, the best parts of his life hadn't happened yet. Why was he deserving to be king? What did he do to earn that position to be king? In Samuel's eyes, and Jesse's eyes, and his brother's eyes, they didn't see that because they saw him before the good parts. But God saw him after the good parts. And the reality is that, that we have to, to see things that way too. If we only look at people of what their life is like before the good part, before they know Christ, before they've been changed, before they've been saved, if you only look at your life before God works in your life and before God gives you a calling and before God puts you early, establishes your feet and gives you a path and direction, then you're not going to see the good that God sees in people and in ourselves. We have to recognize that for many of us and for many people out there, we've not got to the good part. Have you ever watched a show? Maybe you, you've asked for um, recommendations of a, a show to watch on Netflix or Disney or whatever. And somebody says, well, you should watch this show, but, but don't give up after the first episode or two. It don't get good till, you know, the end, the, towards the end of the first season, the fourth or fifth episode. Just get through that first bit, and then you'll get to the good part. We should take that mentality into our view of ourselves, and into our view of others. Don't give up on them yet. Don't give up on yourself yet. Don't give up on your family yet. Don't give up on your church yet. You've just not got to give part. It's very easy for us to base, place judgment on everything in our life by solely looking at what has happened before the good part. The good part. But there is a good part, and we see that. You know, and, and, and sadly, there is this idea in churches and in communities that, you know, maybe you believe it, maybe you know somebody that believes it, maybe you've been taught this or told this before in your, in your life, but that you have to do so much good, make so many right decisions, clean yourself up, straighten yourself out, before you can be used, or maybe before you can even be forgiven by Christ. That, that belief, that, that doctrine, that theology is out there. And it has destroyed many people's hope of ever feeling welcomed in church or ever feeling loved by God because they view it as, I can't do enough good to make myself worthy of forgiveness, so why should I even try? But that theology, that doctrine is not true because you are chosen by God. See, just like David was chosen by God and anointed by Samuel to fulfill God's plan as the king of Israel, to, to establish his foundation, uh, uh, to take what Moses had done, to build upon it and to establish the future of the Israelite people, the Jewish people, the culture, and everything to, to make way for, just as John the Baptist was a precursor to, to Christ, David was as well. He was establishing the plan and the path for Jesus to come. So just as, as he was chosen, so was Christ chosen and anointed as well. 
See, Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. We, uh, you know, you might not realize that. His name wasn't Jesus Christ. Joseph wasn't Joseph Christ. Mary wasn't Mary Christ. Christ was a title that was portrayed and given to the Messiah that meant anointed one or chosen one. Christ was chosen just as David was chosen to fulfill, to fulfill the plan of God on this earth. David established the footworks. The, he really helped set up the, the Israelite people in a strong way so that they wouldn't just bend to every person that came along. They, they wouldn't come into captivity and slavery every every couple of years that they were, they were founded, they were secure, they had a history. They began to develop a strong culture and, and a strong groundwork of what their society looked like. And it went from there and it continued to build from there. And everything. They had a sense, they made mistakes, they did the wrong things, but still they had, had an established culture of this Israelite, this Ju- Judaic culture that ultimately led to Christ. And then Christ being chosen and his anointing led to where we are. But just as David was chosen and Christ was chosen, you have been chosen as well. It's not just some random thing. He chose you. John chapter 15, verse 16, reads like this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples and talking to people here. Um, He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit, that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. That first sentence, man. You did not choose me, but I have chosen you. I chose you. This scripture, Jesus is portraying himself to disciples. He said, you no longer are slaves. Because he said, the slaves don't know what the master does. He said, the slaves don't have any agency. They don't have any ability. They don't have any choice. They don't have any, any, any kind of options out there. He said, you are no longer slaves. But he said, you are my friend. My friends, this is also where the scripture, where he says, no greater love than the man having this, and he laid down his life for his his friends. So he, he is telling us here in this moment that he has chosen us to be his friend. And what is a friendship but a relationship? Thus Jesus in this scripture is saying, I have chosen you to be in a relationship with me. And the only difference between us and those that are lost is that we accepted that choosing and that invitation. Right. But we have been chosen. This is true no matter how much you have been overlooked by everybody else in your life in the past. It is true no matter if you've not done anything big, exciting, or what seems to be of any kind of significance in your life. He has chosen you. Wherever you come from, wherever you're at, your ability level, your your your, your strengths, your weaknesses. If you've been the star of the show all of your life, and in the front on the front page, or, or if you've been you know nowhere near any kind of, of significance or glory or or fame or anything, he has chosen you, chosen you to be a part of the plan. See, God knows. What is ahead? 
We understand that. He is all-knowing. He is all-encompassing. Time is just, just where, where it's a, a, a concrete thing to us. It's abstract. He, he sees from the beginning to the end of time. He understands it all. He knows the best of what we are capable of. Even though our family may not see the potential, even though our family may overlook us, even though our job may not see what we're capable of, even though the people we love may not understand it. Everybody in church may overlook you, and you might feel like you don't have a role or a part to play. Jesus and God and the divine trinity, the Godhead, they see the best of what you are capable of. Where everybody else sees you before the good parts, he sees all the good parts. And he sees what can happen in your life if you will accept him, follow him, do, obey him, do what he wants for you. This, or what he wants you to do. This idea of us being chosen, no matter where we've been or what we've done, or if we've done any great things or if we've only done bad things, if we've been, you know, if, if we're the star of the show or if we're not even on the stage, this idea is, is just grace. It's grace. Because... Because law and all these things dictates that you must do so much of something to be deserving of or to, to not receive punishment. But grace says, hey, all these things that you've done, you might not be of any significance to anybody else around you, but you have significance to me, to God, to Christ. Nobody else might see your good parts, but I know the good parts of your story because I'm the one that's written it. I'm the one that set it aside and put it up and, and I've chosen you. You have this place. You have this potential. You have this purpose. You have been chosen. And then he goes on this scripture and it says what? I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit. Produce fruit. In D19 on Wednesday nights, um, myself and, and Kelly, we teach the little ones, the young, the elementary ones, and we've been teaching on the, the fruits of the Spirit. And, you know, you go through those, and, and it's in Ephesians if you want to want to read it and everything, but that's what we're preaching on right now. But, but it's this idea that once we have accepted or, 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 cho or being chosen, our invitation, that we should then begin to, to bear fruit. In our life. And you look at the fruits of the Spirit and it talks about kindness and long-suffering and love and joy and peace and, and all these things and self-control. And, and I look at that. Man, and it just it just becomes clear to me that that if I begin to, if I, as I become a Christian, as I become a follower of Christ, if I really truly want to begin to exude and bear these these fruits in my walk with Him, then, then it requires that requires that I don't do these things that we've talked about. That I don't overlook people. That I don't overlook anybody because of where they're at or what they're doing or how they're living their life. If, if they seem unworthy, if they seem unfit. I don't overlook them. Because I can't hold my love back. I must show love to all. I can't just judge people based on all the parts before the good part. I have to realize that once God begins to intercede in their life that, that their life will get better. That their, their parts of their story will get better. That there will be more good parts once they receive Christ. But So I can't judge them just based solely on what happened before the good parts. Like Samuel, 
I should, I should be obedient to God when He says love that person, follow that person, help that person, give them strength, encouragement, pour out, pour into them all that you can. I should not say, well, Lord, look, at they, they've not done anything to merit this blessing, this anointing that you want me to put on them. Why should I do this? I should just understand that God knows the good parts of this person's life, even though I might not know. I might never see it. I might never be part of it. But I should just be obedient to God, bear that fruit, and not overlook somebody just because it doesn't make sense where they fit in the plan of God. I'll close with this. Um, I think it was Christian Today or, or one of these on um, Christian magazines wrote an article or a story about Dwight L. Moody. Okay, If you don't know him, that's okay. But he is a was a biblical teacher. He, he's found at biblical schools in Chicago and other places. He, he, he's passed away now, but he's a great teacher, great minister, and, all that, and, and saw, saw hundreds of, and thousands of people saved under his teaching, under, under his, his preaching and his ministry. But Dwight L. Moody was, was not raised in church. Um, his salvation occurred in his teenage years when he was going to youth programs and stuff, and, and a teacher began to pour into him Begin to invest in him. Begin to to show him the love of God and let him know that he had purpose, that he had uh, that God had a plan for him, that his his life didn't have to be based on his poor decisions beforehand, but there were better parts ahead if he would receive and follow God. And this is what led Dwight L. Moody to receiving salvation. But we don't hear about the teacher. There's not books written about him. He's not got a plaque or a statue or anywhere. He doesn't. He, he isn't some great author. He he wasn't on TV. He wasn't on the radio. He just left his impact on the world, followed and fulfilled his purpose in helping the plan of Christ to move forward by simply not overlooking some young teenage boy that was troubled and going through a difficult point in his life. By not basing his judgment on this young man, by just looking at what he'd done before, by realizing that God had a better plan for him in the future. And so should we take that mentality into our ministry in life, into our, our community, into our D19 programs, food pantry, when people come through, different things, different times, as we, as we seek to you know, do different things during the summer and hopefully invite people in. We need to have that mentality, that understanding that we can't overlook anybody. Because God didn't overlook us. And we can't solely base our judgment or understanding off of what they've done before their good parts but realize that they do have good parts to their story. And maybe those good parts will start once they receive Christ as their Savior. And once they realize that they are loved and cherished by God. Man. So as you look at this story of, of David, the parallels between... Between Christ, as, as David establishes a foundation, furthers the work of Moses, and then Christ takes it from there, you know, a couple hundred years later, and really fulfills what it was that Moses and David started and began and, and, and flourished and, and, and watered in, in the Jewish and the Israelite people. But we should learn that, you know, God makes great things from places and people that we never expected, that we wouldn't guess. And he uses them for his glory and for his honor. Now I want you to understand about yourself that you might feel overlooked. You might feel like you don't play a part. You feel, might feel like you have no importance or significance in your life or in your church or in your family. 
But God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. And other people might not see it, but He looks and He sees your good parts. And He sees the best part of your sto- parts of your story that's yet to be written. That when, when, as He begins to work in your life and you are obedient to Him, what can be, not what has already happened. So I pray that you understand that, that, that God loves you and that God cares for you, that God has a plan for you and a purpose in your life, no matter how many you've been overlooked before, no matter how many bad decisions or insignificant decisions you've made in the past, and, and you just feel like you're very you're the vanilla of everybody around you. And I like vanilla, and I don't have any wrong with it, but you're the vanilla of everybody around you, and everybody else is chocolate and strawberry and all these fancy things, and you just feel like everybody overlooks you. God sees you where you're at, and He loves you, and He cherishes you, and he has a plan for you. Amen. And I pray that you recognize that and take